you please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, where we have the, the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we've been focusing on the various petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Begin at verse 9 of Matthew 6 with these words, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we consider this morning, in particular the words there, the second part of verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hopefully it has become evident by our study of the Lord's Prayer so far that these first three petitions really flow together. They, they belong together. The first petition brings out that our first concern in prayer is to be God's glory, um, then in turn, um, that is why we uh, long after God's kingdom, and more specifically, that is why we long for Christ's kingdom to come within us. We long to see ourselves subdued more and more to King Jesus so that he is all important in our lives. And the evidence that, in fact, Christ's kingdom has come within us will be personal obedience to him, which is where now this third petition comes in. For if God's kingdom has really come to your soul, it is just about the same thing as saying really that you obey the laws of your new king. There's no such thing as having Christ as king without being obedient to him. I'm imagining that many of you are aware of the fact that there are many churches today that teach you can have Christ as your savior without having him as your Lord and King. In other words, they say it's possible to have faith in Jesus Christ and yet continue to live in disobedience to God. In fact, so much so that in fact, looking at a person's uh, sinful life, he may, he, it may appear that he's not even a Christian at all. And yet they would argue that he is just because he says that he believes in Christ as his Savior. Uh, this is called the carnal Christian theory, called this because it is thought that a person can be a Christian and still be carnal. And what's meant by carnal is someone still living under the dominion of sin, a person who reveals no good works in their lives. But the fact of the matter is that there is no salvation unless Christ is your king. And to the extent that you are following the ways of Satan, Christ is not your king, um, and if there's nothing of a changed life, if there's no fruit, no good works, then you do not belong to Christ's kingdom. And scripture is clear that there is no salvation unless you belong to Christ's kingdom. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said there, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so when you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, which has to do with the Holy Spirit entering you, changing your heart, uh, giving you new life in Christ, when you were born again, we call it you were saved. And Christ says that to be born again, to be saved, puts you into the kingdom, which means then that Christ is your king if you are truly saved. And if Christ is your king then you're going to be obedient to him. That's simply the way it is in a kingdom. The subjects obey the king. Nevertheless, and this is important too, 
The truth of the matter is that even as believers, even though we have Christ as our king, we're not always obedient, right? We still sin. No, not one of us can claim to be perfect. In fact, just the opposite is the case, which is why the larger catechism of the Westminster uh, begins the explanation of this petition by describing exactly why we need to pray this petition that God's will would be done. And it it puts it this way, acknowledging that by nature we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and to do the will of God, but prone to rebel against his word, to repine and murmur against providence, and wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil, we pray thy will be done. And yet, what also must be emphasized is that as the true children of God, there's going to be in your lives the beginning of a new obedience. There's going to be a, an earnest desire, if you are a true child of God, to obey God in all things. And not only a desire, but action. There, there are to be actual good works. Uh, those who become Christians later in life, there's going to be a noticeable improvement in lifestyle. For those of you who have been Christians all your life, there must be a growing in holiness so that those around you can see you becoming more and more obedient to Christ. And just like we need for Christ's kingdom to come continually within us, now in asking that Christ's will would be done, we are asking that the fruit of the kingdom coming within us would be good works. That there would be these good works that would fit our new identity in Christ. Now that you are citizens of heaven... Citizens belonging to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must live like you are such and not like you still belong to Satan. And yet we know we need the Lord to extend his grace to us, to help us in this, to enable us to do this. And so that is why we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice that in this petition, your attention is being called to the will of God. It's important that we understand what is meant by the will of God. God is described in Scripture as a willing God. He's not an impersonal power like the wind or a blind force like fate. He is an intelligent and personal being who has a will. He decides to do things, and his will is such as our sovereign God that always what he wills to do, he does, or we might put it this way, that whatever he wills to do is sovereignly carried out, which is... So that when God wills something, it is as good as done. Which is why scripture speaks of us, for example, as having already been glorified. Or as Christ having been slain from the foundation of the world. Why does scripture speak like this? Of things future as already accomplished. Well, God decided that Christ would be crucified that we would be glorified through his death. And because he has willed this, because it is part of his plan, it is as good as done. And so that is why uh, there in Romans 9, we are described as already having been glorified in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though we have not yet entered into the glories of heaven. But that is so certain that it it can be spoken of as in the present tense. Looking further at God's will, God wills in such a way that he never does anything involuntarily. He's never forced into a corner. He's not pressured to do something he would rather not do. 
In other words, he never does anything but what he always wants to do. Of course, we can immediately recognize how his will differs from our wills. We talk about certain things we do as voluntary and involuntary. Um, When you decide to sing or to pray or to speak, you are doing something voluntary. Uh, Yet when you breathe, um, you do it without thinking, without making a decision. And if you accidentally touch a hot stove, you don't pause and contemplate what you want to do, but your hand's going to immediately pull back, right? That is an involuntary response. And there are also involuntary decisions where we do things um, that we would rather not do. Um, I trust that for most of you, if you had the choice about when you would get up in the morning, it probably wouldn't be uh, always at the time that you end up getting up. Um, I dare say, with many things we do, if the choice was entirely left up to us, our lives would be different. Uh, We're often forced into doing things a certain way that we don't prefer. And yet with God, things are not like this. There are no conflicts. There are no involuntary actions in God. He only does what he wants to do. And of course, the beautiful thing about this is that God, because he is good and loving and wise, always wills that which is good. In other words, because his will and his being are in perfect harmony, his will is never sinful, it's never evil, but it's always perfect and good. Of course, there's a lot of evil in this world that opposes God. And yet a great mystery and and a great truth is that God is sovereign even with respect to evil and sin, which means that it must be his will that evil exists. And yet even when he gives it a place in this world, um, that sin and evil still remain the object of his hatred. And it can never be said that God delights in the evil itself, and yet he wills sin and evil, our sin and evil, because he wills it as part of all of the things that he has planned in order that he might receive the highest possible glory. And what comes up from a study of the Bible and the will of God is that God's will can be understood in two senses. In order to make sense of the Bible, we have to make a distinction between the will of God's decree and the will of his command. This might sound like something that would be from a seminary class, but it's really something that Everyone, every Christian should understand it's important in order to understand many passages of Scripture, and in particular that you might understand what is meant by God's will here in the Lord's Prayer as we consider that this morning. When we are talking about God's will in terms of how he wills everything that comes to pass, that's the will of his decree. For instance, God wills the sun to shine and the birds to sing. He willed your coming to church this morning. It's according also to his will that tornadoes and earthquakes and other such natural disasters would come when they do. And God decides uh, who's going to be born and when, who's going to die and when that will take place. Uh, It is God's will that there even be evil in the world for the purpose of his glory. This is the will of God's decree. We're talking about everything that happens according to uh, God's plan. The things that he has decided will take place. But there's also another sense in which we think of the will of God. For instance, we say it's not the will of God that human beings would murder one another according to the sixth commandment. 
And when we're talking this way, we're talking about the will of God's command. God has declared what his creatures ought to be and what they ought themselves to will and to do. And the will of his command is what is meant when we say God's will is that you obey his commandments. We're talking about the will of God's command anytime we say that someone does something against the will of God. Or if you think about it, no one can do something against the will of God's decree. So you can see that that distinction is important. And especially it's in helping you to understand, understand Scripture, um, notice that it, it uses this word will in these two different senses. And, and pay attention because if you don't know which one is being used, you're probably going to interpret the passage in a wrong way. So for example... Remember the words of our Lord as he spoke over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So Jesus there talks about wanting or or willing to gather Jerusalem's children together. Now what kind of wanting or willing is he talking about? Is he talking about God's decree? Is it God's will according to his plan that all Jerusalem be gathered? Well, if that were the case, then God is failing. For Christ is speaking of the fact that they, that is the leaders of Jerusalem, were not willing to allow Christ to gather his people. Does this passage then mean that God cannot do what he wants to do? Does this mean that these religious leaders are stronger than God and able to thwart God's plan? People of God, if if you ever study this passage I've just referred to, and, and you look at commentators, you will notice, and it's sad, you will notice that there are many who will who will say that there's this inability of God to bring about what he wants. But this passage is talking about the will of God's command, not the will of his decree. Christ has commanded men to come to him and be saved. And they were continually, many of them, unwilling, both for themselves and others. That's what Jesus is weeping over, the unwillingness of these sinners and 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 the, the leaders of Jerusalem standing in the way of people coming and being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important that we understand what kind of will the passage is talking about. If we take it in the wrong sense, We run into problems in that, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem passage, we could end up believing God is weak, that he's unable to accomplish the salvation of his people, and Christ is grieving over the ineffectiveness of his ministry. But in fact, according to the will of God's decree, Christ was gathering his people. And and Calvin emphasizes that, that no matter what the religious leaders were doing, even though they opposed Christ, and yes, he was grieving over the fact that there was all of this opposition to his ministry, and to this command that people would come to him, yet God was gathering his people, even though the leaders in Jerusalem opposed him. But before we get too far afield, we must now apply this to the Lord's Prayer. So we need to be asking ourselves, when we pray this prayer, when we pray, your will be done, are we praying that God's decree would be done on earth as it is done in heaven? Or are we praying that we would obey the will of his command as it is obeyed in heaven? And I hope you can quickly recognize which one it is. 
Clearly, the will of God that needs to be done is the will of God's command. And so the meaning is, give us grace that we may always do your will by keeping your commandments. After all, God right now does carry out his ultimate will, the will of his decree. Think of it. Of course, he carries out his will on earth as it is in heaven right now. God is sovereign on earth as he is in heaven And the point of the Lord's Prayer is that while the angels in heaven perfectly obey God, we here on earth do not. And so we ask that God's will would be done here on earth like it's already being done in heaven. And so we're praying that God's will, the will of his command, the will of his moral law, all of the commands of God, all of the requirements of his people that are part of obedience, we are asking that God's will would be perfectly obeyed by us and by others, by them coming to faith, right? By them being regenerated by the Holy Spirit and brought into a saving relationship with Christ where they also would submit to Christ as their Lord and begin to obey him. And yet, as I've just emphasized, the the will here is primarily the will of God's command, and yet we need to also keep both senses of God's will in mind, This will become clearer as I continue to expound what is meant here in this petition. When the Lord Jesus Christ himself prayed in the garden prior to his crucifixion, he prayed, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in this prayer, the Lord Jesus was praying that he would be obedient to his Father's will unto the end. And what was that will? Well, Christ came under the command of his father that he should lay down his life for the sheep that the father had given him. And yet, don't we also see very clearly in this prayer of our Lord a reference to God's decree? For Jesus is hoping that perhaps God might have a different plan than the painful way of the cross as a way to save sinners. But right as Jesus asked if there might be some other way, notice how Christ aligned his will with that of his Father. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so it must also be for us. God has planned many things in your life. Some things that you probably don't like. Some things that will probably be very difficult for you to accept. And the problem that this third petition confronts is that so often our will does not align with God's will. Now thinking of that will in terms of what he has planned for our lives. For example, suppose it was the Lord's will to suddenly take to himself in death one of the members here in this church. Now if that were to happen, we know according to God's word that that would be in accord with his will. According to his plan. Uh, It would be part of the the fact that God has numbered each one of our days. Now, if it were up to us, right, we wouldn't want that to happen. But it really doesn't matter in that case what we want. Um, God takes a person in death when he wants to. And yet when God does reveal his plan to us in difficult circumstances, things that that we don't particularly care for, there is a special calling that you must fulfill, a special way in which you must walk, and that is to submit yourself to the, will of God, to the will of God, to blend your will with his, and to give him the glory and praise. Your calling is to confess that he does all things well, 
And so in praying this prayer properly, you are praying, Lord, give us grace so that no matter what comes our way, no matter what you bring to us, we will walk into, in, in complete surrender to your will. Help us to be able to say from the heart, the Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the attitude that is to be behind this prayer, that God's will would be done. And this prayer then has practical application to our lives. For the fact of the matter is the Lord, the Lord has given each of us a particular place, or we might refer to it as a particular station in life. And it's the Lord's will that you would obey him in the calling that he has given you. There's not one here who has the same station and the same calling. You, you all have different life circumstances. And especially as you look over the church as it exists across the whole world, there are some who are rich, some who are poor, some of high estate, others of low estate. Some have received many talents and gifts from God and others um, a few. Um, Christians have different levels of responsibility that have been given them by the Lord. And just like in the parable, there was the one servant who received uh, one talent. And even in heaven, there are different positions. Michael is a prince among angels, so that some angels hold a more exalted place than others. In the church, some are officers, some are teachers, some function in the office of believer. Why these differences? Well, God has determined these things. God has planned your particular place in the world. And in the place that God has given you, you must be his servants and walk in obedience to his will. This means then that in praying this prayer, you're to to beseech the Lord for grace, that you would accept the position that he has given you in life, that in fact you would see your place in life as an assignment from him. Do you see your work as a calling from God or simply a job? People will often talk about how a minister has a calling, but everybody, and they'll say, but everybody else has just a job, and yet, and many people look at their work as simply a necessary evil, as just a duty, as just something to do every day. And it's not uncommon that the housewife will go through the daily routine of her work as a kind of drudgery. Children doing their schoolwork and chores because they have to. Husbands going to work and doing their things to make a living for themselves. Uh, Do you see your work that way? Do you see it as a task? Do you see it as drudgery? Do you see the everyday things of life... um, Uh, on the other hand, as belonging to a calling from the Lord. You will find it liberating when you view your entire life as a kind of service to God. When you children do your schoolwork to the best of your ability, because that is what the Lord has given you to do, you will do your work without complaining, and you might actually begin to enjoy it. And when you obey your parents, including in doing your chores, you must understand that this is the Lord's will for you. That is the calling that you have from him. And of course, this message, this application is not just for children. We all need to look at our lives from this perspective of where, we are, where the things that we have in our lives are a calling from the Lord that we are then to do joyfully and certainly without complaining. 
And so we pray, Father, grant that we may always accept your will regarding the place that you have for us in this world. Give us contentment in serving you to the best of our ability. And then notice the ending of the petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is God's will done in heaven? In heaven, whatever is assigned to the angels or now to those saints who have gone on to glory, it's what they do is never done reluctantly. There's no complaining. There's no murmuring. Whatever God wants is done right away, and it's, it's done completely. Things are not left partially done. God is not up in heaven having to nag um, the believers who are there or angels who are there to, to, to get their work done. Um, nor are things done hypocriti- uh, hypocritically so that while outwardly the work does get done, but the whole time inwardly the, the angels or the people of God are, who are doing this work dread it and hate it and wish that they didn't have to do it. No, to the contrary, all the work in heaven is done gladly and joyfully. And so it ought to be with us. We are to be ready and eager to live out God's will, content to do what he has given us to do. And we must be willing to do whatever he gives us to do, even if that involves renouncing our own will. Which is why the Westminster Larger Catechism says that we must pray for grace to, quote, make us able and willing to know, do, and submit to his will in all things with the like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. We need to pray this prayer because we are so prone to rebel against God's will. I'm thinking now both of the will of what he has determined for our lives and also the will of God as revealed in the commandments of God. As a whole, we just we, we want to live our own way. We, by nature, want to be able to determine our own events for our lives. We, we prefer uh, to live how we want to live. And we are tempted to raise our fists against God and tell him how we would do things differently if we were in control, and that's sin. And we need to pray this prayer because of our need to grow in submission to God's will. Think of it, in a very real sense, this prayer is a confession of sin. We are saying we don't do God's will like we ought to, that we do break his commands. We don't submit to his, his, uh, his decree and his plan for our lives. The spirit of repentance, we confess we want God's will to be done on earth. And implied in this prayer is an expression of the longing that you ought to have for that final day when you will be perfected. Does your longing for the kingdom of Christ to come include this desire that you will no longer sin, that God's will will be done in your life and in your heart? Imagine not having to fight temptation, not having any guilt for sin, be done with the battle against sin. Lord, hasten the day when your will will be done within us perfectly. That's what this prayer is all about. We must pray this prayer to God in faith, knowing that as imperfect as we are, God accepts us on behalf of his Son. We must pray to God through Christ, only in Christ that we have any hope of being answered. But more than that, if it were not for Christ saving you, 
doing God's will would mean nothing to you. You would have no desire to obey him. For we love and we obey Christ out of an appreciation of his grace. Do you know that grace? Have you begun to, have you begun to comprehend what it is that Christ has done for you through his death on the cross? If you have, you understand that you've been saved by grace, then you're going to want to please the Lord. And just like your salvation depends completely upon Christ and his work, so also the ability to do God's will. It's through his grace working in us. If we could do good works on our own, then we wouldn't need to pray this prayer. Um, We pray this prayer because God alone enables us to do his will. And so we pray to God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven out of an appreciation for God's grace. I want to close this morning by reading the very succinct summary that's given of the meaning of this petition as we find it in the Heidelberg Catechism um, in question and answer 124. The question reads, what does the third petition mean? The answer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means... Help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Your will alone is good. Help us, one and all, to carry out the work we are called to as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask that you would help us to reject our own wills as we think of the ways in which we would rather not obey your commandments, the times in which we would rather the will of your decree would be different than it is, we wish that our lives were different and not according to your will, and we complain and we murmur against you. Father, we ask that you would forgive us. We pray that we would be content with the various stations in life that you have given to each one of us, the various talents, the various gifts and abilities, uh, the various uh, tasks that you've called us to. Lord, may we submit to your will. And uh, we pray that we would do so gladly and willingly because of the grace that you've extended to us in Christ. Lord, we look forward to that day when your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven when we as your people will be perfected, we will be living in that new heaven and new earth where there will be nothing of sin but a complete conformance to your will. Father, we look forward to that day, thankful that Christ will bring that about for us through his saving work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.